the grid. A digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. The supply chain crisis explained today on The Grid. When I can't get what I want, when I want, where I want, for the price I want, that's a crisis. And a crisis we have indeed. First, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Mercantile Mountain is an online e-commerce business that sells a wide variety of shirts, backpacks, hats, jackets, footwear, camping, sports, health, and home decor products. With unique branding, Mercantile Mountain desires to help you renew and refocus your life to your God-given purpose. I know the owner, Clay Carroll, personally, and I am proud to call him a patriot and a friend. He has a heart for American small business and seeks to source his products with like-minded craftsmen, artisans, and businesses to bring quality products to his customers. Clay is a devoted husband and father and has the spirit of a kingdom patriot. Clay loves God and country, thus the birth of Mercantile Mountain. Go to their website today to order your favorite products. That's mercantilemountain.com. Again, type in mercantilemountain.com to order today. Be sure to tell them you are a kingdom patriot. Okay, I do just a bit. Supply chain, as I defined it a minute ago, is quite selfish, and it's all about me. When I can't get that part from my dishwasher, that is a first world problem. In fact, I was speaking to a pastor, and he was sharing with me the difficulties in explaining a washing machine to folks in Africa because they don't even have the concept of not washing their clothes by hand. So tongue-in-cheek, this truly is a first-world problem in many cases, and most of our supply chain issues fall into that category. However, it gravitates more into, I would say, a need category when we start talking about food and medicine because most Americans don't grow their food, nor do they know how to do so efficiently and effectively. So they truly do rely on the supply chain to eat and live. However, what I want to talk about today is a, a deeper dive into the policies that have led to the supply chain crisis so that we can have a bit of Econ 101, so to speak. I want to talk about a couple of categories. First, I want to talk about the law of supply and demand in regards to how the market will behave. Second, how government policy affects supply and demand. Third, why are we so dependent on foreign goods? And fourth, what can we do about it? And by the way, if you want to listen to a fantastic interview with a business owner of a trucking company who can give you real frontline experiences in regards to this crisis, click on the link in the transcript of this podcast. Perry Stone interviews the CEO of Covenant Transport, and the CEO explains in great detail many of the issues in regards to the Los Angeles port and the supply chain impacts of years of bad policy and regulations. So let's jump right in. The first is the law of supply and demand. Folks, supply and demand is basic econ 101. It's predictable, it's repeatable, it is proven to be true, especially in a free market, or at least somewhat of a free market. So what does this law state? Well, according to Investopedia, the law of supply and demand, quote, is a theory that explains the interaction between the sellers of a resource and the buyers for that resource, and the theory defines the relationship between the price of a given good or product and the willingness of people to either buy or sell it, end quote. In other words, generally, as a price increases, people are willing to supply more and demand less and vice versa when the price falls. The theory is based on a couple separate laws, the law of demand and the law of supply. And those two laws interact with each other to determine the actual market price and the volume of goods on the market. And I'm probably oversimplifying this, but again, just stick with me for a few minutes. 
So a couple key takeaways from this theory. The law of demand says that as prices rise, buyers demand a product will decrease. And the law of supply says that as prices rise, sellers will supply more of a product. And then there's an inverse relationship as well. These two laws interact to determine the actual market prices and the volumes of goods that are traded on the market. But there's also several independent factors that can affect the shape of that market supply and demand, influencing both the prices and the quantities that we see in the markets. So let's put this into real terms. Let's say I'm a manufacturer and I make hunting equipment and I have 100 units. But because the market is good and the demand keeps going up, I have 300 buyers who want to buy one unit each. So the demand for my 100 units is actually 300, even though I only have 100 at the current price. So what am I going to do? I raise the price because even if I alienate 150 to 200 buyers at my higher price, I'm still going to sell all of my 100 units and I'm going to make a ton of money. But let's also say the opposite happens. I have 100 units of hunting equipment, and at my current price, I only have 50 buyers who want to buy the unit at my price point. So what am I going to do? Well, I've spent the money to make 100 units, and I can't have 50 excess units sitting on the shelf. That costs me money, and I have to sell those units. So I lower the price, I run ads, I create discounts, I do whatever it takes to move those last 50 units. That, in a nutshell, is how the law of supply and demand works in a free market, or at least somewhat a free market economy. There's no way around it. I've seen it over and over again. As demand increases, prices rise. As demand falls, prices decrease. And there is a highly correlated relationship between the two. Now, I'm not really getting into government price controls or other outside interventions at this point, but I, th I think you get the point. So the second topic or the second point I wanted to cover is how does government policy impact the law of supply and demand? I'm so glad you asked. It's simple yet complicated. There are short-term impacts and long-term impacts. Remember what I said about the law of supply and demand? It rings true in a free market system. Wages go up, people buy more. Wages go down, people buy less. This impacts price, it impacts supply. But conversely, the availability of product in relation to demand also impacts price, supply, and demand. But what happens when the government floods the market with money? Oh, you don't think that happened? In 2020, the government, the U.S. government, started sending $1,400 stimulus checks to families. Why? Because of all the lockdowns, people couldn't go to work. And I don't have the patience to go back and research all the stimulus checks, but the U.S. government was borrowing money at a prodigious rate to transfer via stimulus checks to millions of Americans. So all of a sudden, billions of dollars are now available to spend on the market and to spend on product. But is that real demand? It certainly was not demand created by job wages. It was demand created by available cash. So let's look at government policy decisions in relation to current state, and you tell me what impact it would have on a free market economy. So here's the real scenario. COVID-19 is portrayed as a once-in-a-lifetime disaster in early 2020 in March and April. States begin to lock down their populations in varying degrees. Red states tended to be more relaxed. Blue states tended to be more like a vice. Businesses, especially entertainment, restaurants, etc., were locked down. The federal government began printing stimulus checks under the auspices of helping those families who were stuck at home so they could buy food and pay for rent. But in reality, the stimulus checks would not be adequate to support a family with children. Furthermore, I know the lockdowns hit many families hard, but other families in which the, neither adult lost their job, they now had extra stimulus money to spend. That's a fundamental problem with government. The problem was primarily with families who lost their livelihoods, but the stimulus checks went to anyone who qualified by income parameters. In addition, student loan repayments were suspended. Unemployment was extended to over a year. Additional unemployment income was created on top of normal unemployment income. 
and even renters often didn't have to pay rent. The ripple effects go on and on and on. Now, with just these few policy changes that I've mentioned, what would the normal person think would happen? Of course, people use the stimulus checks to buy. Millions of Americans with billions of extra dollars that they didn't previously have. In addition, many Americans did not lose their jobs, but rather learned to work remotely or by other means. So in reality, the stimulus checks overall did not replace lost wages, but rather created additional buying power. So how did this impact supply chain? Well, in short, it created demand that cannot be filled. Worse, because as we just covered in the law of supply and demand, when demand outpaces supply, prices rise. What did you pay lately at the gas pump? Have you compared that to the summer of 2020? I have. I paid $1.95 per gallon of gas in the summer of 2020. Yesterday, I paid $3.15 a gallon of gas. That's a 62% increase. Give me any item and I can give you a similar story. Eggs, paper, utilities, energy. We see it everywhere. My goodness, I compared my electricity bill per kilowatt hour to 2008 because I'm a nerd with a spreadsheet and that's what I do. It's up 28%. I bought a used car at the end of 2020. I put 30,000 miles on it, and today it's worth 10% more than it was a year ago with 30,000 less miles. Have you looked at the price of housing? To describe it as insane would be a gross understatement. It goes on and on. In short, when you create artificial demand and there's neither the labor or supply resources to meet that demand, prices will skyrocket. That's how the report just came out that said year over year, our inflation is up 7%, the highest in 40 years. When inflation is being used in the same breath as Jimmy Carter, you should have significant reason to be concerned. What was your last wage increase? Was it 7%? Yeah, I think not. For most, the average wage increase each year is 1.5% to 3%. Oh, and by the way, the inflation number of 7% is grossly understated because many things such as energy, utilities, and food are not even included in the calculation. Is this sustainable? Absolutely not. Impossible. So the third point to discuss, which relates to this, is our dependence on foreign goods. Look at anything that is not food and tell me what the sticker says. Yep, exactly. Made in China, made in Taiwan, or if it's clothing, made in Bangladesh. As Americans, we buy a ton of product from cheap labor countries that in the past could make product so much less expensive than we have here in the U.S. where we have laws and ethics to actually protect American workers. In 2020 alone, the U.S. market sold $165 billion of product to China, but we bought $451 billion of product from China, creating a trade deficit of $286 billion. You hear that term trade deficit all the time, but hopefully this will bring a little bit more clarity to that. It's just economic terms for, I bought more from you than you bought from me. And I will say, this isn't all bad. When you buy product from a country like China and there's a significant trade deficit, historically, that's been very good for the American consumer. Why, you ask? Because it means that we have very inexpensive product and a plethora of choices. In many ways, it does reflect the free market because we allow China to sell their product in the U.S. without imposing massive tariffs to level the playing field. Again, this is great for the American consumer who wants cheap and wants choice. But for American businesses, it's a totally different story. Many of you may remember the mantra from President Trump, Make America Great Again. This was what he was referring to. He recognized that buying cheap for China was great for the American consumer, but it was horrible for American business because American businesses, for example, like steel, could not sell their product competitively in China and also had to compete against China domestically as well. 
and he sought to level the playing field by threatening tariffs and other penalties that in essence would help American businesses, albeit would still hurt the American consumer. And there's a balance there. I'm not really getting into the debate of the pros and cons of each, but rather I just want to make sure you understand that there's a relationship when we're talking about trade deficit. But back to my point, American consumers have become accustomed to cheap and choice from places like China, thus the massive trade deficits every year. Remember our earlier point, artificial demand has been created by government policy, and now China can't keep up. There's just not enough labor to meet the U.S. and global demand for cheap product. So that has led to massive delays for parts, product, and goods. In addition, there are policies that are making it difficult to get the product to market, even when the product does arrive. Again, listen to that interview by Perry Stone. You will learn a ton about the port of Los Angeles and the trucking industry. So what you have is prices are rising exponentially for a source, a.k.a. China, that historically has been very cheap. So that brings me to my fourth point. What can we do? Well, I was speaking to someone last night, and they very much understand supply, demand, product movement, logistics, and I love what they said. There is a unique opportunity for American businesses that source locally because the prices are rising so fast and there are so many delays to get the product from overseas that local American businesses have a chance to compete in a way they have not been able to for years. So what can you do? The answer is simple. Buy American, especially buy American, in which the business does not source its product or its service from overseas. Now, part of why I share this is because that is something that we are aiming to do here at the Kingdom Patriot Group. We are building a network of American businesses who have a love for God and country. And as we build the small business list of American businesses, we challenge you to relearn your buying habits to support these businesses. First, you will be helping all Americans. But secondly, as persecution increases, by doing commerce together, we are creating an alternative economy for Christians to buy and sell with one another during the dark times ahead. We must support each other. And I'm as guilty as the next person of always looking for that great deal. But maybe the best deal is to buy American, support businesses that have a similar love for God and country, and to truly, through your money and purchases, support one another. Hopefully today, this gives you a better understanding of the supply chain crisis, what contributes to it, and what we are called to do about it. When artificial demand is created, prices go up, and when stimulus money floods the market, it creates havoc in a free market economy. We didn't really spend a ton of time on the inflation issue, even though we mentioned it, and ultimately where this is going to lead, which is a worldwide market crash. I don't believe this artificial demand is sustainable. So at some point, it will come crashing down. Businesses will have massive inventories. They will have to discount heavily or else they'll go bankrupt. The housing market bubble will be something akin to 2008 or worse. There's no way that people can survive in a $200,000 home that they paid a half a million dollars for when they or their spouse loses their job. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. It's just reality. Again, this is economics 101. So let's make a habit of supporting American businesses, our faith family, and create good habits of doing commerce together. That's all the time we have today on The Grid. Thank you so much for joining me. Special thanks again to our sponsor, Mercantile Mountain. To purchase your products today, visit mercantilemountain.com. Don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. I'm Chris Coleman, and I am a Kingdom Patriot. Oh,